Are you ready to face your fears and tackle a perceived upper limit situation? My guest today was and tackled five fears in five days. Welcome to Love featuring your host, Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Fear comes in many shapes and sizes. Some fear is real. That terrifying feeling that has us in fear for our safety when we are in danger and it has us move to either a fight, flight or freeze mode. But the other fear, that type of fear is the imagined one and one that so often stops us from going after what we really want in life. I think there's some fabulous acronyms for fear that I love and a few of my favourites are false emotion appearing as real, face everything and recover. Fighting ego against reality. Frustration, ego, anxiety, resentment. Failure expected and received. Finding excuses and reasons. Fear that is unexplainable or not tackled will repeatedly stop us from going after that which we desire. It keeps us in a really nice, comfortable zone. It steals us of our creativity and it prevents the blossoming of the new. This plays out in life all the time in every area. And yes, of course, I see this play out daily in the dating world. The fear of being rejected or the fear of being unable to get out of something that isn't working or the fear of not being good enough or the fear of what will other people think or the fear of something new and different. They're just a few of the crippling fears that I come across every single day in my clients. Helping people in the coaching practice to overcome their fears is so often at the base of what their problem is of getting to where they want to be from where they are now. And recently, I saw on Facebook a friend of mine tackling facing five fears and challenges in five days as a social experiment to see what she could learn about herself and how her mindset could shift as a result of facing these fears. So I just had to have her on the show. And today, Sanji Carter from the MindShift Academy joins me. Five years in five days. What led you to doing such a brave thing? To be honest, it was for for my MindShift Academy course. So the group of teenagers that I was taking through at the time, it just kept coming up and it was something that so many of them were asking questions about. And I thought, look, what better than to lead by example? So I thought, look, let's create a challenge. And I thought I'd do it by going first and, and then I'd have any opportunities to, to do it as well down the track once it was, I guess, tried and tested. And yeah, so that was kind of where it all started, I guess. So what were the five fears that you chose to tackle in those five days? So interesting choice of words. I didn't actually choose them per se. So what happened is uh, I put up a list of 12 to 15 things that, that really terrified me, not just the little ones that, you know, I could have easily kind of done. And then I put it out to my Facebook audience. I had 24 hours to vote. So on the five that they would want me to do, so each person that voted would vote for their top five. And I, I had over 100, oh, I think I had about 150 votes. I had to then go and count back to reveal the top five fears that I was going to be facing. So that in itself was a really interesting test of how other people perceive fears, but also how they, some people protect me. Some people thought, oh no, you can't do that. And it was, it was interesting, all of their own stuff that was coming up, even just in them voting for what I would do. It was fascinating. 
Actually, that is fascinating because mm-hmm. I actually didn't see that post on your Facebook page, yeah. but I instantly would have gone in. <laughs> I'm going to be an enabler. I'm going yeah. to go in and choose the five that I think are the least scary. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible, isn't it? It was a great social human experiment. It was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm already thinking we've got the gorgeous Love Life Tribe, which is a closed private Facebook group of beautiful souls that are, are so loving and wise and people share their vulnerabilities, their challenges they're facing, and there's all this gorgeous love that comes in and wisdom to support them. I'm thinking, oh, do we put the challenge out there? Am I bold enough? Yeah. You learn so much about yourself and each other by doing it. Wow. Everyone's really scared now to tell me the things that they're afraid of because they think I'm going to challenge them to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, before we get into what was the outcome, because I'm sure the gifts would have been plenty, what was the first fear that you had to do? What was the first one? So the first one that I had to face was actually skydiving. Oh, my God. See, no, I, I think I'm a required person on this planet. That would, that would terrify me. <laughs> wow. And you had a very genuine fear. It wasn't something, oh, yeah. you know, I want to do this and I want to push through it. It was more, so it wasn't a bucket list. It was a fear. Uh, no, it definitely wasn't on my bucket list. That's for sure. No, I'd never done any skydiving. I'd never done bungee jumping. Uh, and even when I had opportunities, you know, over the years to do that for free, I'd always say, no, no, I, I like extreme things, but that's not the thing. I was always like, I go whitewater rafting. But the heights thing, whilst it fascinated me, it fascinated me for other people. (laughs) Right. So what was that moment like when you're on the plane and they're going, step off of it? Well, I mean, I fly a lot and as as do you. And you normally, if a plane door opens when you're in a plane, it's like the worst case scenario. So when the, the door opens and all the air comes rushing in, you're like, this is Every bit of instinct goes, what the hell is going on? And you're like, don't go. You're just like, but it's in my mind. I'm going, this is normal. This is normal. This is normal. <laughs> Until the first person goes out. And for some reason, I thought they would just go out and just kind of float away. But yes. because of the speed of the plane, they go out and they just whip to the side. And you're just like, oh. oh. I'm like, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I'm assuming this is done in tandem. You've got a, like your strap to his front. Correct. Yes, yes. They don't let you just jump by yourself first one up. So you do have to do. And which I think for me was, it was good because I knew that there was a safety there. Like I knew that they were trained. I He'd done uh, well over 200 jumps. You know, he knew the area really well. So I think I, I, I made sure I had a lot of surety. With, with right. That. Safety assurity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a point in the, in the, what is it, descent as you're falling, free falling? At, at some point, did you Lose a fear and kick into exhilaration. 100%. And it was probably quicker than what I would have anticipated if you had got me to, to talk about it beforehand. And it was really maybe only the first second of free fall. And then you're the, the person that's strapped to you, actually then you start to feel this ability of control in the air, even before they pop the parachute. And I was doing over, over the beautiful Byron Bay in uh, northern New South Wales. And once the, the, the chute opened, you get that little rush where you, you sort of back up a bit. And then it's just like the most amazing experience. It's just blissful. It's so quiet when you're that high up in the air and and view of the coastline and back into the Byron Bay hinterland was just amazing. And I kind of thought, wow, like this is how I want to see every new place in the world. Like it was just, and then it was it was over so quick. But it was just yeah, it's a moment of almost bliss, which is really wasn't what I expected. <laughs> wow. So are you going to do it again? 
I would do it again, yeah. That's fantastic. All right, so what was the take-home from the first fear? Did something shift in you, change after the first tick, I faced that fear after that first accomplishment? Was there some shift or did it take progressive days for you to really start to shift in your mindset? Yeah, I think the biggest one, it definitely was a shift from the skydive. And the thing was that it's all the voices that are telling me the stories in between the deciding to do it and the actual thing that was actually the most fearful, the actual act of doing the skydive, there was no fear whatsoever because you were just in action. So it's almost the, when you are thinking about things and your, your brain is allowed to wander into all of the what-if scenarios, that's actually the scariest part. The actual the action of jumping wasn't actually scary at all because I was strapped to someone else. We jumped out of the plane. We just nussed up to the edge of the, the plane and we jumped. There was no thought. You were just in the moment. So I think for me is when you're in the moment or in action, that's what, fear doesn't exist. But it's in the, about doing something where the fear can really manifest. So I think the longer that you, that you can think about and the longer I thought about that, and it was delayed a couple of days. So I was, the thinking oh. became worse, right? So of course that went, I'd built myself up the night before that morning. I'm like, I'm ready to do it. And then they're calling like, oh, the weather's not good enough. We're going to have to delay for a day. So, so, like, oh. geez, so, then, oh. yeah, so, so that really was the, the lesson in that for me was the, in the, it's in the thought of it, in the thought. Right. So yeah, controlling your minds, controlling your thought process. Correct. So what was day two? What did that bring? Or your second? Because I know we actually had to do them f- five consecutive days, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. So it was five years in five days, no break, no rest time, <laughs> so, which is uh, always interesting. But, um, yeah, number two took me up to the Sunshine Coast to the Australian Reptile Park, and um, I got to get all nice and friendly with a couple of pythons. So it was- okay, now see that wouldn't. I've done that. That doesn't. That doesn't scare me because I, I have this thing with animals. I like to kind of believe I'm a bit of an animal whisperer, so uh-huh. that doesn't bother me too much. But I can appreciate that that is really creepy and scary for many people. Yes. So all of them. That was probably my one that I was probably least. Fe- even though it was scary. I, I, I wasn't as scared of that one as I was of, of all the others. So that was probably my one where I'm like, right, I think I can I can do this. <laughs> okay, so it was like hold it, have it wrapped around you, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And and they're quite beautiful to feel, aren't they? Like the, their amazing. body is amazing. Just just really quite soft. And I thought the scales would be, you know, be hard and prickly. And, you know, it was a fairly warm day, but I was warmer than anything else around. So, you know, the snake pretty much just curled up on me and was was quite happy to almost have a little nap and it was once you felt the way it was it was really good and again the instructor was fantastic and she just went through I think for me for this one it was just being informed or educated so the thing that she went through to start with is the snake will always mirror your state of being so if you're panicky and anxious it will be panicky and anxious if you're calm it will be calm so I thought okay well this can't be too hard I've just got to be calm make <laughs> so, it till you make it <laughs> That's it. Until I realised, well, it was actually again quite quite easy, and they were just quite happy to be laying on my arms and around wrapped around my body, and um, it was all pretty peaceful. And until until I had a fly land on my hand, and I had the snake hit about here, and the flies land on my hand. I'm like, in my mind, you know, breathing really calmly, but in my mind going, what do I do? Is the snake going to try and jump at the fly? Do I try and swish it off? Do I leave it? So I was like all these little things running around in my mind and I'm like, head getting close to this fly. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and just, 
Did it go for it? Did it try to eat it? No, in the end it just turned away. It wasn't even interested. So I was like, oh. so the heart rate just, I really should have worn a heart rate monitor for a lot of these, Jane. But uh, Oh, yes, that would have been interesting. It said a tick, tick, tick. And it went back down. So yeah, and then then they brought out a bigger one, and yeah, it was uh, it was quite again quite quite good to to get friendly with the pythons. Well, anyone that hasn't held a snake, they are magnificent creatures. You can feel all their muscles, and they're heavier than you think, and they're so their touches. I don't know. I guess it's like those horrible bags that we really probably shouldn't ever touch. But it, it is amazing to feel their muscles when they are moving, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You can feel that they are, like the power that they do have if they needed to use it, that they could, you know, wrap around something so quickly and and clinch them really tightly. But at the same time, they're in such control and they're they're happy just to be able to have weight of their body taken and be very docile, I guess. Okay, what did day three bring? So day three was was the toughest. (laughs) Okay. This is the one that uh, has been probably, I'd say, childhood fear from when I was... Oh, I must have been about, about five or six years old and uh, I went to sit at the dinner table and something was sort of in my shorts and I was sitting there, you know, your parents are like, just sit down and eat your dinner, you can't get up. And anyway, I you know, and anyway, I get up and they found a huntsman like in, in <gasps> my shorts. So day three was, was conquering the huntsman. And um, Jane, I'm sure you've got many of your listeners as well and those that, you know, are happy to be around spiders and you've got those that Maybe they need someone else just to catch the spider if they find one in their house. And then they've got the third where you pretty much evacuate your house if there's one in it. And I was probably in that category number three. <laughs> right, right. I'm number – I'm in between one and two. I'm number two where um, – well, I'm number one where I will catch it and take it outside to the garden and I try and do all my voodoo of, you know, my woohoo of – Let's talk to it. You're going to be so much happier outside than inside, blah, blah. But if it's really looks like it's dangerous or it's very aggressive, then my vows husband were, I promise to love, honour, obey and take the spiders outside. Brilliant. However, I can fall into Capri and I remember when I was pregnant with my first child and uh, no, I wasn't pregnant. No, I'd had her. She was a little baby, newborn baby. And I saw this spider coming across the carpet towards where she was. And in that moment, it was very territorial and it was primal and it was, I'm sorry, you've got to go. And the fly spray, and I think I doused half a can of fly spray on the poor thing. And I actually don't kill any creatures. I walk around ants and it it is just my thing, so I don't do that. But as I sprayed (laughs) sprayed this spider, hundreds of little babies ran off. It was a mum. Well, that had me hysterically in tears. You know, I'm hormonal breastfeeding, just given birth. I'm on the phone to my husband sobbing. I've just murdered all these bees. You know? <laughs> so that was my spider story. But wow. So I, 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 get, I think that people can be different, different things depending on the, the scene that you're in. So you have a real terror of spiders because you've had one in your pants. Yep, yep. And I had a little family move into my apartment. Uh, it would have been around Christmas time. I'd left a baseball cap just in the corner and they'd found their way in there. And so when I thought I had one in the house, I ended up having, similar to you, two or three of them in my small little one-bedroom apartment. I actually moved out for three days until one of my friends could come over and (laughs) eradicate them. (laughs) Oh, so what did you have to do on day three with the spiders? How did you conquer this? 
Yes, this is an interesting one. It was actually the, the toughest to organise, to try and get a spider that can be held you know, by someone who's fearful of them um, was really challenging. So that actually almost more challenging organising it all. And I had to go onto a few reptile Facebook groups and things to try and even source, which was terrifying because you're scrolling through Facebook feed trying to, and then all of a sudden these spiders and things are showing oh. Even that was just like, oh, my God. So Confronting. <laughs> But lucky enough that the the research staff at Griffith University had a spider there that they were able to lend me, I guess, <laughs> for the day. So I went in and uh, and saw the staff there, and they had this beautiful one year old huntsman, and uh, well, they called it beautiful. I had a few other words to start with. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I went to the to the research lab there, and my thoughts are, it's a research spider. It'll be very, it'll be tame. It'll be you know because it's for research. And anyway, my first thing I get into to Griffith University and my friend who was meeting me there with, with I thought, the so-called spider expert proceeded to tell me that the spider expert was called in sick that day. So we still have the spider to do the challenge. We won't have the spider expert there. And she was afraid of spiders oh. too. So I'm like, right, so there's me who's terrified, her that's afraid and the spider expert that's not there. And a box that's probably oh, the size of a shoebox clear a clear shoebox I guess you would say with a, with a fixed top on it in the room so there's me my, my friend who's scared of spiders no spider expert and it's clear sitting on this little table inside a, a tiny little uh okay lecture room I guess it would be the amount of stories I made up in my head to just hightail out of there and to, to just say no nah, this I just can't do it was was right up there my heart rate again it would have been I don't think I've had it that high in a long time <laughs> even in a stationary position. So for me, it was my breath was shortened. I was clammy in my hands. I've, I've got a hopeful view of this too, Jane. As you could see, I was just very agitated and very alert, like just on high alert, even in the morning. Read that fight or flight mode. You were full-blown in it. Yep, 100%. Wow. Yeah, so then they obviously they've got the spider there and like they, they had to make sure that I was okay with doing it. And I'm uh, like, well, of course, I have to do it. I knew... It was one of those moments where if I didn't step forward into it, I probably never would have ever gone close to that again. So it was, in that, again, that reasoning going, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. That's bold. That is really bold. It's also, that's really insightful clarity to have in that moment. It is now or never. And so what did you have to do? Put your hand in this container? Well, yeah. So obviously without the spider expert there, we're like, well, we need to get the spider onto my hand. Because my, again, my, the, the challenge was that I had to hold a spider. So in my mind of the stories that I've made up, the spider was going to be on my hand, I was going to hold it and I was going to put it. That's what, that's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> Which, but the reality is this spider could go running anywhere. It could bite you. It could attack you or. That's correct. Which I don't Ooh. know why I did that before doing it. But anyway, so uh, the, the spider expert had done a little recording and, and sort of told us what I needed to be aware of. And, and quite similar to the snake, he was like, it will mirror your reaction. So if you freak out and, you know, be really erratic, then it will. that's when it will jump. Otherwise, if you're really calm, it will be really calm. So I'm like, right, okay, I need to be calm, I need to be calm, I need to be calm. So going through that rationalising, I think, again there. And the other thing that my friend said is, look, it's a spider, so if you throw it, it's going to, it will die. And I'm like, oh, God, now I've got this thing that I could kill this spider who that's this guy's pet research spider. So then that, oh. that's thrown in here as well. And and just before I was about to you know to reach in and try and figure out how we're going to get this spider onto my hand, Dom's like, oh, her name's Daisy. And it was almost in that as soon as she named the spider, there was just something different. I don't know it went from being this spider to being 
okay, it's just it's me and Daisy and we're going to do this thing. And it sounds so ridiculous, but... No, but that's interesting, isn't it? It just gave it some sort of softness in its personality or something, I'm not sure, but it allowed me to remove from the fact it was this scary big spider to it's Daisy, it's the research spider, and we're going to just do this thing now. That's an interesting concept because when people are, I don't know, I'm no expert on this, but I have heard that when people are faced in a situation of potential hostility, to actually create a connection with the person that's being hostile to you actually often stops the perpetrator from being a perpetrator. So it's some sort of connective, energetic connection that does soften, absolutes the energy. Yeah, so I think that probably took my heart rate from maybe 220 down to 210. So that was, <laughs> and that's in the moment. Good start. Yeah, let's, let's do this. So, and it was quite interesting too that, like, you know, again, that education piece that spiders, all they want to do is crawl and pull up. So oh. as long as you have your arms out, outstretched, then it will just crawl up your arm. So my first thought was like, okay, I can do that. Then I'll get to my armpit. <laughs> I'm wearing a T-shirt at the time. Yeah, yeah, when I have it on the face, that's yeah, not going to be no, moving no. down my top. No, no, no. And she goes, as long as you put your other hand over, then it will just crawl into that hand and then it will crawl up. And you. So it was almost like I was doing the Macarena and the spider was just <laughs> making its way up. And their front little, uh, I guess, legs or little feelers, although it looks like when they're up, they're quite hostile, that's just them looking for their next piece of bark or wood or anything to, to walk onto. So they're just sensors or feelers rather than hostile antenna type things so again that helped me to realize well when that's happening i know what they're looking for i can just put my hand there so in the end we got the spider out and it was walking up down my arm for probably about three minutes so just walk that's a long time yep and sitting down and i wanted to do it until i could get my heart rate under control once i got it on like now i want to be able to be comfortable enough in this situation that i could take my eyes off it and i could be in condition and have that complete trust. So I'm so yeah. <laughs> impressed that you're actually taking this experiment to an extra level. That's impressive. You know, one of the things I've observed already about these three stories, and I know we've got two more to go, is that in all of this, there appears to be, and I think we all do this, inaccurate assumptions made from lack of education. 100%. So our fears, whatever they are in life, Perhaps this is the time to bring them out, put the spotlight on them and become educated about that fear to reduce it or even eliminate it potentially. Yeah, because I think for me, when I found that I was more educated on something, the stories that I would create in my mind unconsciously became became less or the impact. It just wasn't as much that, you know, you don't go off into these far-fetched stories because you have some facts that, that stop that. Whereas before that, it's like fairy tales you just wanders into the abyss of what potentially could happen because you just you aren't informed. The what if game really dangerous, isn't it? Absolutely. It can be incredibly exciting. But when you look at your fears, yeah, it can be really damaging. And as I've found, even just with these three, almost debilitating. And as I said, like I'd had opportunities to skydive before in my life and without paying a dollar at all. And I didn't take them up because of the, the fear that was there. So yeah, now knowing these things, it definitely opened up scope for other things for sure what was day four bringing you okay the day four and this was a it wasn't a fear for me but it was something that was it was challenging for sure so my hair used to be down almost to my my bum when I saw you in Perth you had lovely long hair and now you've got lovely short hair yes I had the long blonde mane which had taken a few years to grow and it was blonde and free and yes the, the challenge was that I had cut my hair short 
and donate that to charity to help someone obviously to make a wig for cancer patients to be able to have some hair. So for me, that was interesting because I wasn't fearful of cutting my hair short, but what that manifest as was my identity and how much identity I had attached to my long hair. And it was the planning of it. I was like, I didn't realize I had such an attachment to this identity of this long blonde hair until I was like, I'm cutting it off. I understand that totally. I think that we have attachment to a lot of physical things. You know, it can be people going out in public with on, or it can be, what if I'm seen in my tracksuit? Yeah, well, not in your sporting world, everyone's in tracksuits, but I'm talking about middle-aged mother in the burbs that's in the daggy trackie, yeah. not the, the fitness leisure gear. We do have absolute attachment to identity through these things. And it's fascinating to put the spotlight on and see what is it we do care about and why do we care about it? And is it a belief and can it be reframed to be freer from? And that's why I knew I had to do it because I had this attachment and I'm like, what might this be holding me back from? You know, I tend to take risks and I'm a pretty outgoing type of person. So for me, this is one that a lot of people chose not to vote for and commented on it. We don't want you to lose your beautiful long blonde hair. It will take so long to grow back. And for me, it, it was like, well, yeah, but it can still grow back. If it's something that I, it's not a absolute, you know, it, let's let's go with short hair and let, let's feel that. And I mean, I've had my hair cut short before. It was back when I was 16 and it was done by dad and it was it was pretty terrible. I had some pretty traumatic moments <laughs> as, a, as a 16-year-old girl, that's for sure. At uh, times, we've all had that bad haircut and yep, I definitely <laughs> experienced that one. So the fear probably came from that moment and, you know, recreating that. Now, I had a great friend down at the yard here in uh Miami and she did a great job and had a, and they were all just fantastic. Like, this is such a great cause. I love what you're doing. And they all got on board with about their fears and things to face. So really just I opened up a really good conversation about yes. what might have been holding them back as well. So that was very, yeah, very eye-opening, I guess. Were you allowed to watch the haircut happening in process or did you have your back to a mirror and then turn around and go, there I am? No, I've actually watched the process. So they, they tied it all up and they each came in and chopped off one of the ponytails and dialed it up. Obviously, I didn't see the back of it right, right at the end, but yeah, it was great. It just felt light, light and actually almost freeing, which was bizarre. Yeah. Interesting. So I wonder if the long hair is an attachment to the inner child girl, the young girl, and maybe now you've moved from maiden into motherhood. Not motherhood as in being a mum, but motherhood as in moving into a greater sense of maturity. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Who knows? But you look amazing. Definitely a shift. <laughs> Thank you. Everyone says I look younger, which I was fantastic. Or, you know, and I think it's just different. You know, it just shapes my face differently. And, again, it's something that a lot of people would never do. So they, they go, oh, sorry, even... It just gives a different energy and, and connection there, I think, as well. Absolutely. Okay, day five. What was the final fear to face? Day five, and it didn't surprise me that this one actually got voted in as number one because I think it's one of the most common fears I, I know from statistics it is, is public speaking. So obviously with myself, I've done a lot of speaking. So, you know, getting up on, on stage and speaking about a topic that I'm, you know, informed about doesn't scare me. But doing stand-up comedy was a whole nother <gasps> thing. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's gold. So, yes, one of my uh, lovely friends, Peter, nominated me to do stand-up comedy at a uni bar on a Friday night. Oh, my God, tough audience. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How would you even prepare for that? I'm trying to think, are you – I mean, I know that a couple of nights that we spent together in Perth, we laughed a lot. 
that I, I'm trying to say, are you funny? Do you tell jokes? Are you, I don't know. Jane, I'm what? <laughs> Did you do it? I, I find I'm always laughing. But I'm one of those people that was one joke and I always listen to other people tell jokes like, that's great. I'm going to remember it. And I never do. I've got one joke that I remember from when I was maybe like eight years old. And I just don't have this ability to remember jokes, which really didn't serve me very well in this judge whatsoever. So how did you prepare for it? So I actually based it a little bit off the five fears challenge and used this as a little bit of my, my material and what had happened the first couple of days, which definitely helped. I had uh, eight friends that came down to support. <laughs> we use that term really loosely, to support. There are the in inverted comments to heckle from the audience. <laughs> to heckle, yes. So at least there was someone there and, and then just the general public that were there at the university and they'd create a little stage and had the mic and, you know, at least in the challenge there wasn't a time duration or, you know, the amount of claps that I was getting. It was I just had to get up there and do it. And it was really, really interesting how fear manifested in this one. The morning of, uh, it was a Friday night, that morning I was exhausted. I didn't want to do preparation. I felt lethargic. I felt fatigued. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm getting sick. I, I can't do this. And then I had people cancel that couldn't make it. So I'm like, oh, they really want them to be part of it. Maybe I should postpone it. So it was this real, the energy around it. My fear was manifesting as fatigue and delaying. And even that evening when it was meant to start at six o'clock and uh, again, I had a couple of girls who I was coaching for beach volleyball that were coming along to support. I'm like, we have to wait for them, have to wait for them. And it got to this point where I was almost like, if I don't, again, if I don't do it right now, this is, is there's not, the, the thing was, there's not going to be a right time. There's not going to be this perfect time where I feel empowered and I feel funny and I feel like the crowd's just like co-control. It's just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. I just had to get up there and fulfill the challenge that I'd set for myself. And the fact that I was accountable to so many people really helped. I had to ensure that I had accountability from people who were donating money to the cause, but also that were coming along to support. So if I didn't get up there and do it, doesn't matter how terrible it was, I would have been letting them down in that sense. So accountability was a huge strategy for this one. Yes. It's interesting when you talk about your physical symptoms. Mm. Now, the day following, so we're on day six, the five fears are done. Did you wake up with any of those symptoms that you'd had the day before? No, I was fine. I felt energized. I felt alive. I was just like, wow, like I just felt so accomplished in what I'd done. That's why I knew, and only then did I know that the, the signs from the day before were all just fear manifesting. It wasn't actually that I was sick. I wasn't really tired. It was just a, a strategy where fear was creeping in and just showing up as yeah. fatigue, which I'd never had before. It was so that was a real eye-opener for me. I find it fascinating that the body and subconscious mind, which of course can much of who we are and how we behave and feel, will manifest dis-ease within the body to protect from going into danger. Absolutely. And that is exactly what's happened to you was that, you know, no, you can't, you can't get up on stage. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Everyone's going to love it. You're going to hate yourself for this, blah, 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 blah. Let's get you out of this. This is not a good environment to be in. Let's make you sick. Then it's not your fault. You don't have to do it. It's because it's socially acceptable to be sick, isn't it? So everyone's sick at times. That's right. And, yeah. I watch this happen with athletes, with dancers, with injuries. And it's when they are not in the joy and the fear is kicking in, suddenly the injury is there. 100%. And it's it's fascinating to watch. So much to say. Now, I also love where you mentioned there is no right mm. time. 
And I think so often in life we wait for the perfect time, whether it's the perfect time to get married, to have a baby, to buy a house, to change jobs, to do anything, to travel, whatever. It doesn't matter. We keep waiting for our ducks to all be in alignment. And that just doesn't happen, does it? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. But I feel that once we've committed to something, and that does require accountability to help us to do that, once the commitment is made, suddenly everything is perfect. It is the perfect time. Yeah. Everything falls in. It's like when you buy a house and you're not sure if it's going to be the perfect one. But once you buy it, it becomes the perfect one. And we then change our focus. Our mindset will then change to support the decision that has been made. So once we make a big decision, we start to gather evidence to support that that was the right decision to make. And I find quite fascinating as well. Yeah, we can always make it work in our favour. Absolutely. What was the overall big experience? How can you summarise what the take home was from five incredibly big days? Yeah, it's a brilliant question. And and for me, it was, you mentioned it before, I definitely didn't have my ducks in a row. I was more squirrels in a tree. Um, things were all over the place. So, um, and, and I guess probably the biggest takeaway, you know, life is like squirrels in a tree. They're chasing all over the place, all trying to be pulled in different directions, chasing different things. And, and there is no right time that was my biggest takeaway was you really just have to I guess no that's a lie there is a right time and it's now it's only ever now so that's the only right time is now and in order to help that you choose that now it's the things accountability huge don't worry about the stories just take action and do it now so they're my three things and I think they just can be applied in so many different scenarios that and as you said once you once you have three things everything starts to work in your favor and then all of a sudden it makes such sense that that was the right choice beautiful now you mentioned that there was a charity involved so you raised money while doing this five days for five years so i was helping support our under 21 national beach volleyball we also caitlin betnay and sabine mills were going over to compete world championships and i was coaching for over there and so we raised i think the girls raised a little bit over four thousand dollars and and as part of that was donations through their five-year challenge and it was one great to be able to help them you know able to cover some of their costs and such a big trip to the world championships but also it created such a connection and trust from a coach to athlete relationship as well so they felt that I was so invested in their journey even before I got to play volleyball as well so that was a really cool experiment and on the flip side they the whole run up to their world championships is about taking risks and playing bold and so they were given permission to take risks and be bold in their preparation in the way they played in the way they traveled because being led by example. So they saw that and allowed them some freedom, I think, to be able to to really explore that themselves. Now, I wonder if you could share a bit about this amazing work that with teenage children. Absolutely. We call it our our MindShift Academy and where all this five fears in five days was born, I guess. So the Mindset Academy, can you tell me what are you doing there? Who are you working with? What's the idea of the program? Yeah, so the MindShift Academy really originated around about 12 months ago when I was doing some work with the Young Leaders Program from Melbourne University. And I was going down and running workshops. But uh, what we were finding was I was spending one or two days with these these teenagers, 17, 18-year-olds. And the biggest lesson that came out of that is they, they had nowhere to go afterwards. They wanted to keep working with me because they've made some great breakthroughs, but they now felt like they were just being left. So I thought they got to the got to this edge and then it was just this big drop and there was nothing there. So 
that sort of led for me to create the, the MindShift Academy, and which is a, a purely online-based moment. So we have students from uh, five different countries at the moment going through our MindShift program throughout Australia and obviously Southeast Asia as well. So we already have that, that global community, which is one of the, the other core uh, values that we have and what we're trying to promote is connection to other cultures and, and being able to connect teenagers with other like-minded and like So often, as you know, your teenagers, they go to a certain school, they have maybe 100 kids in their classes that they have to pick from, see their friends, and often those that, you know, might have a different passion or a different pursuit or maybe they are the higher achievers and they feel like they just don't quite fit in. In the MindShift Academy, they had that connection to other people and other kids that are thinking the same, feeling the same. So it gives them permission, I guess, to, to keep excelling in those areas and not just fall down to the, the majority just to fit in. So it's a ability, I guess, to be a little bit permission-based as well to go and play those those big games. Beautiful. Who are your clients? Are they? Is this open to anybody or is this something that's selection process? I always do a pre-intake sort of intake survey with the, the students that are interested just to make sure that, one, we're the right fit for them, but also they're the right fit for us because, you know, everyone's got different ways they learn, different things they want to break through. So we all always give them the opportunity to do that um, with our little intake survey. And generally I jump on and do just like, you know, we can use that to have a conversation with anyone in the world same thing. So we'll just jump on that platform and give them an opportunity to, to see how well our units are run, how the interaction is with other students on the, on the screen, and also give them the opportunity to go, yeah, okay, I really love this, like the vibe, I want to jump in. Or, okay, maybe it's not for me, and, and that's okay too. And we offer a 100-day money-back guarantee. So if they're, you know, doesn't, even a couple of weeks into the course, not feeling it, we just say, look, it's not for you, that's totally okay, and uh, make sure that everyone's happy. Fantastic. The integrity. So the idea is to help teenagers to be the best version of themselves by looking at their mindset. Yeah, it's really helping bridge the gap from the classroom into adult life, I guess. And, and as an ex-teacher myself, I know that there's, there's so much cover in those 45 minutes you get with each, each class each day, and, and often these are the skills that are left out. So it's really helping what the education system that's already there rather than replacing it, but giving them some skills and some what we call mind hacks that they can use every day to help them sort of whether it's getting through, making decisions, facing fears, having to create their own value system so that they can be self-guided. And then also thinking about, you know, what does the future look like for them? And then helping support them through that. In that, you know, 16 to 18 years old, it's it's challenging time being a teenager anyway, let alone thinking about maybe the course they have to choose, you know, the work they might want to do and with all these external pressures. So we really help them strategize through that as well. Beautiful. And the website address? Yep, mindshiftacademy.com and that's M-Y-N-D-S-H-I-F-T academy.com. Thank you so much, Sanji, for doing this. This is an amazing story of such boldness. I can only imagine that you needed a glass of champagne at the end of those five I did, days. I did. <laughs> or the Martino, Espresso Martini. What was it? Espresso, Espresso, Mart- Espresso Martini cocktails, cocktails that we, we enjoyed on the beautiful Scarborough Beach, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any final words that you'd like to share with people about their fears and giving it a go? Yeah, probably the biggest thing is just if there's something that you do fear, just become educated, step into that space and move towards it, not away from it, and you'll feel so liberated by even just getting educated and moving towards your fear, you may not even have to do it, but you're going to feel just in, in a much more empowered place and it'll be really interesting and you'll be so surprised where else that starts to show up in your life. So do something that scares you today. 
The big takeaways that I receive from Sanju's experience is that so often fear comes about from a lack of education. Once we explore and educate ourselves on a particular area of fear, the mind can understand it at a greater level, what really is true danger from what is perceived. Sanja's experiences with animals demonstrated that what we feel is what we attract. If we are anxious, an animal will mirror us. If we are calm, so too will they. This vibrational emotional point of attraction really is the basis for every engagement we have with everything in life. I also love the supporting story of how our emotions cause the physical symptoms in our bodies. Her story of manifesting illness prior to performing on stage and then having them completely disappear immediately after facing her fear is a very validating story of how we are constantly manifesting both the positive and the negative. I was also interested to hear that the fear disappeared completely for Sanch, often when she was in the doing. It was the imagining that was really where the true fear was being lived. Now, if you'd like to contact Sanji, check out her website, mindsetacademy.com, with mindset spelt M-Y-N-D. And she's also shared with us a blog around fear called The F Word. I've popped the links in the show notes to both of those uh, sites. And of course, if you'd like help coaching to help you overcome your fears, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. To book a session with me, head to janedonovan.com.au. I also want to thank our patrons for their ongoing support that enables the continued production of this show. To become a patron from as little as $1 per month, please head to patreon.com forward slash show. And until next week, take action towards facing your fears and do something that scares you today. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening. It's a beautiful day.